world of digital sound. Great, and I'll just put chewing gum in now, start to record a podcast story. Brilliant. Okay, guys, this is Ken. This is the Ken Burton Show podcast story for uh, this week, although I didn't do one last week and I don't think I did one the week before because I've been really, really busy what with insomnia and all the other crazy, crazy shit that I've been doing. Um, and it's just been a really busy time for me, you know. Uh, guys, uh, as ever, let's qualify this by saying that um, this podcast story may or may not be true. It is up to you, the listener, the viewer, the whatever, to decide and put your comments in the comment section, which will go on the Ken Burton Show YouTube channel. And uh, I will read all of the comments because I always read all of the comments. I'm really interested in seeing what the comments are, really. Uh, Anyway, so that, that qualifies it. All characters are fictional, unless stated otherwise. Although... um. This character isn't fictional, but I'll um, I'll give you his. I won't give you his name. I'd like to. Can I give you? Nah, nah. <laughs> I can't give you his name. Right. Okay. This podcast story is about Billy. Billy. I was Billy's greatest fan. I was genuinely Billy's greatest fan. If ever you had a problem. If ever you were in a situation, Billy is the man you wanted at your side. He caused more problems than he ever solved. But apart from that, he was an absolute top guy. He said what everyone else was thinking. And (laughs) you could always guarantee if you were walking towards the pub with Billy and an overweight uh, lady would be walking in the other direction towards us, he would be the first to say, fuck me, look at the size of that. Um, (laughs) He always just used to... I'm not sure if it was a disease with Billy. He never never actually thought before he opened his mouth. He just opened his mouth. (laughs) Oh, God. I'd, just as an aside as well, I remember coming out of Buster's one night and Billy's at the bottom of the stairs, right? And uh, he's he's talking to some girl and her boyfriend. And uh, I just kind of walked by. All right, Billy, how's it going? And he went, oh, Ken, Ken, come here, come here, come here. You'll know this, you'll know this. I said, uh, what, what? He said, um, this uh, bloke and uh, his girlfriend want to know where they can find a brothel. Why would I know that? Why would I know where there's a brothel? (laughs) And why does he want to take his bird to a brothel? Jesus. And he's like having this serious conversation about, no, somebody's got to know. Anyone know how to find a brothel? Anyone, anyone, this bloke wants to find a brothel? Anyone know? Oh, God. Funny as fuck. I got into a... Oh, God. I got into a rook um, in Birmingham one night when there was at least 30 of us uh and it it was somebody's party it was some guy's party and we we all ended up we were at this guy's house and billy was there and uh i remember this rook kicked off and we all kind of ended up pushed out the back door and in the back garden everybody's fighting everybody and uh (laughs) billy loses the plot he just starts he just starts hitting anybody that's near him 
God. I got the, the most massive black eye from Billy. <laughs> and the way he did it, he just... He was just punching everybody that was within, like, four feet of him. And then he punched me and went, sorry, Ken, <laughs> moved on to the next guy. <laughs> I'm lying on the floor thinking, what the fuck just happened? Oh, God. You could forgive him anything. You really could forgive him anything. So, anyway, uh, where did Billy fit into our little clique? Well... He kind of didn't, really. Um, Billy Billy was a fixer. Billy was a, a, a very handy guy, but he tended to do a lot of stuff with a lot of other people. Like I, I described this as sounding too gangsterish. Um, Billy would be somebody's right arm, okay? If... They were being sent somewhere or if somebody was going somewhere for a meeting or whatever and he needed a driver or he needed, you know, uh, some muscle with him. Billy was that guy, along with a lot of others. But Billy would be one of these guys. And so, you know, I knew Billy and I'd worked with Billy, but uh, he wasn't part of our little clique. He wasn't, you know, like repoing cars would be well beneath Billy and put chewing gum back in. Mm, lovely chewing gum. Um, so he, he never kind of got anywhere near to us really. But anyway, uh, I was probably in my early twenties and I'll tell you this now because I don't want it to come as a shock, but Billy died. And uh, to be more accurate, Billy was killed. Um, Billy was killed because he was a nice bloke. Isn't that fucking nuts? But what I want to talk about in this story are the events after Billy died. As far as I understood it, and this is what was going around at the time, Billy was somewhere... He was at a club or a pub or somewhere with a group of other people. Some girl wanted to go. She wasn't happy. There'd been all sorts of problems in her life and whatever. And uh, the guy that she was with, he was the DJ, so he couldn't leave. So Billy said, I'll take her home. Well, Billy got to this girl's house, opened the door. She said thanks very much and kissed him on the cheek. And some fucker shot him through the car window. And everybody knew it was her ex that had done it. And nobody could find him. And word went out just about everywhere. Billy's mum and dad were fucking devastated i mean they were absolutely destroyed by this billy was their only child and he was there he really was their life funny courteous a friend to everybody 
He was just an all-round great, great guy. And he should not have died the way he did. We all went to Billy's funeral. There was a fucking load of us went to Billy's funeral. Jesus Christ, when I think about it. There must have been 300 people at Billy's funeral, at least. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't get us all in. There was only room in the, in the creme for about 50 people. So um, everyone else was outside. And <laughs> we all swapped stories and talked about there wasn't it wasn't a sad occasion and that's that's probably the first one of those I ever went to really where a funeral wasn't a sad occasion and it's mainly because the only time anybody could think of Billy they'd laugh because he was always doing silly shit always and whatever memory you had of Billy was funny and so everybody laughed, everybody smiled, everybody said what a fantastic guy this was. And everybody agreed he shouldn't have died the way he did. Well, Billy's employer uh, was a mid-range member of the family. Uh, that's the country family, not my family. And uh, he wasn't happy about this at all. And he'd, he'd really gone great guns to try and track this twat down. And they managed to they'd established where he got the gun from, uh, because there's only a certain number of people that you can get a gun from, or there was in those days. And uh, they managed to track that down. They knew when he'd been there, and they spoke to the guy that had sold him the gun. Um, that was quite an interesting one actually, because I was on that run. Um, <laughs> he didn't want to talk. Uh, client confidentiality said that if he spoke, he um, he would lose he would lose all his clients. So he lost three of his toes instead. <laughs> Not me. I didn't do it. Don't look at me. But he lost three of his toes uh, because he wouldn't talk. And after the third one, he decided it would be a good idea to talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh god you should have heard the bitch scream jesus anyway so um we got a little bit of information about you know what he intended to do with the gun his mates were interviewed and quite often it would be the case going for weeks after where we'd all be sat in a pub someone would come running in and saying oh we've tracked down uh a mate a mate of his and you know Let's let's go and pay him a visit and stuff. So we'd all dive in a car, run off to wherever. And uh, we went all over the place. I mean, Nottingham, uh, Northampton, Bedford. The, the, this guy had friends and family all over the place. And we couldn't track him down. Somebody had said that he'd gone to London. Um, but the call went out, really, to try and find out where he'd gone. Absolutely no joy whatsoever. And then we got, uh, probably about three weeks afterwards, we're, we're sat in the boozer and we're having a, a laugh and a joke and a drink. And uh, we got some girls with us. Why do we have some girls with us? 
can't remember. Anyway, uh, we got some girls with us, and um, one of the guys came in, and he said, "We found him." And uh, for a second, I had to think and thought, "Who?" And they, he said, "Billy, we found him, Billy." He's in Rockefellers in Northampton. Well, Rockefellers in Northampton, for anyone who ever knew it, um, was a jewel nightclub. There were Cinderella's and Rockefellers, but two clubs in one building. One club was for 18 to 21s, and the other club was over 21s only. And um, all we knew was that he was there. So anyway, we all dived in cars and the girls were doing that whole, almost like, if thinking back at it now, almost like, can you imagine when the train's going out of the station and the girl's running down the platform going, oh, darling, darling, don't go. There was a lot of that going on. Oh, you'll get hurt. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so we all um, shot back to my place. And in my safe, in my flat, I picked up my piece, along with a few other people that had left their kit at my place. And uh, we got kitted up, um, and we got changed because we had to put jackets on because we were holstered. And uh, <laughs> we took off. We took off towards Northampton. Now, I knew the club quite well. But uh, the one thing that we didn't have time to do, unfortunately, was to get ourselves another car. It would have been nice, and I did have cars in the lockups, um, but I used mine because time was of the essence. And we shot straight over there. When we arrived, probably three quarters of an hour later, if that, there were loads of us. There were loads of us. Every every car that was in the street had four guys in it. Every car that was in a parking spot had four guys in it. There were loads of us. Absolutely loads of us. And the place was heaving. I mean, it was cooking. And there was a queue getting in. Now, we didn't know which end of this bloody nightclub he was in. So, we got out. And... Uh, the mid-range guy that had employed Billy, he said, right, you four um, go into Rockefellers. The bouncer's been squared. In other words, when the bouncer tap, taps you down, he's not going to do it very hard because he knows that you're wearing. And uh, we went in to the entrance to Rockefellers. And we just kind of stood around and hung around that entrance door. Now, with these places, there's only one way in, one way out, usually. And they do that to stop people from... And in those days, especially, they'd lock the fire doors uh, to stop people letting their mates in. So uh, there was only one way in, one way out. And we all hung around the entrance with the bouncers. And uh, one of the bouncers said to me, Who are you after? And I said, um, I'll tell you the guy's name, it was Craig. I said, we're after a guy called Craig. And he went, oh, fucking hell, Billy's killer. 
said, yeah, you know about it. He said, yeah, everybody knows about it. He said, but he ain't in here. I'd, I'd recognise him. I'd have phoned it in. So right, okay, so he's probably in Cinderella's then. And so uh, we decided we'd wait there anyway. Well, it must have been 20 minutes later and we heard the commotion. And we went out of Rockefeller's, round to Cinderella's, and it had all kicked off at the door. Um, Craig had come out with six, seven other people. And with the intention, presumably, of going somewhere else, I don't know, because it wasn't kicking out time. And he'd been jumped on and uh, handcuffed. And so had his mates. And there were various cars pulled up. Various people got thrown into the back of these cars. And various people who were waiting to get in decided to get involved. And because they pretty much thought it was the police, um, unarmed, uh, unmarked cops that were doing this. And so they were getting really abusive and really fucking leery. And I pulled, came to, came out downstairs and uh, I'm stood there kind of between the crowd and them loading one of these guys in a car and some fucking bird pulled a stiletto off and whacked me on the head with it. Well, I fucked me up. I pulled the gun out of my fucking jacket. I pointed it in her face and just said, back the fuck off, bitch. <laughs> oh, shit. That was it. That was it. Everybody just fucking ran. <laughs> He's got a gun. Jesus Christ. So, we got into cars and uh, we went back to a particular warehouse. And when we got there, most of the cars had arrived. Other cars were arriving. But we went in and there were a bunch of chairs laid out in the middle of this warehouse. And uh, shitloads of suits, shitloads of guys. And this fucker Craig was on the floor. And you could tell he'd had a bit of a kicking in the car. His face was a bit smashed. And so, uh, they basically, I mean, all of us stood around. It was like a boxing match. Everyone stood around in a big fucking circle. Because everybody wanted to see this guy go down. Everybody wanted to be a witness to it. Because that way, everybody would feel that they had a part in avenging Billy. And some guy said to this guy, Craig, why'd you do it? And he explained that uh, his ex got a new bloke. The new bloke was fairly well connected. So Greg, Craig got a piece and was going to off him. Because this new, this new boyfriend on the scene had made him look really fucking stupid in front of a lot of people. The only problem is that he hadn't had a good look at him. And when he shot Billy... He thought Billy was the boyfriend. He thought Billy was the DJ. And he wasn't. And it was mistaken identity. And that made it far worse. Not only did um, Billy get killed, he got killed for fuck all. For nothing. And that was really 
hard to take. I can, even to this day, I can still remember Billy's face. I don't think I ever saw the man not smiling or not laughing or finding the stupidest fucking reason to laugh. You would never get in a lift with this guy because you would guarantee he would fart. You know, one of the funniest guys ever met. Anyway, uh, they said to Craig... Maybe we ought to um, just leave you to this lot, looking around at all of us. Because they all want a piece of you. And he was crying and he was sorry and he was all over the fucking place. Well, they popped him. And the... Popping was done by um, Billy's employer. And you could tell it was going to happen. It was a standard sort of scenario. Plastic sheet went down. And uh, this Craig was made to kneel on the sheet. And he was just popped. And uh, he went down. He was wrapped up in the sheet. A couple of people picked up the sheet and carried it outside and then I would imagine he ended up in some construction site somewhere well that left his mates and his mates were told very very clearly that if they breathed any of this any of this to anybody they'd be next and they were shitting themselves I mean, they were shitting themselves. They'd all had a relatively decent kick in. And they'd all just watched their mate take a bullet in the back of the head. Well, we all felt fucking fantastic, didn't we? So we went down the pub, celebrated. Yeah, finally, we got the bastard, we got him, yeah! Music was on the jukebox and... It was all kicking off everybody patting each other on the back job well done and then I went back to my flat Uh, put the guns in the safe and a couple of the boys left Uh, I think two of them stayed And then I went to bed, pissed. Three o'clock in the morning. And I only found out it was three o'clock in the morning after the event. My door got caved in. And in came what I can only describe as a fucking freight train of coppers. With batons drawn and fucking weapons everywhere. And... Riot shields and fucking God knows what else. And they came in so loud. You know, it was just... 
Well, my door was fairly well protected. It had an iron gate on the outside of it. And uh, they'd, they'd cut through the uh, cut through the lock on the gate without us hearing it and then came in like mob-handed. Um, I sat up in the bed in my half-pissed, half-asleep state to find myself being smacked really, really badly on the top of my head with a fucking riot shield. Little round thing. And then all I could hear was guns pointing at me. <laughs> stay where you are, stay where you are, police, police. I was um, handcuffed, foot cuffed, a black um, cloth bag was put over my head and I was carried out of the flat Um, practically fucking thrown down the stairs I have to tell you and away we went off in a uh, nice little black Mariah Um, still had no, no idea what was going on but I did know there were cops and uh, next thing I knew, I was at the custody suite and <laughs> this copper said, uh, uh, this man has been arrested on suspicion of uh, flashing a firearm at a public place, something like that. So um, the custody sergeant said, you know, fill in the paperwork. Has he been read his rights? Yes, of course he has. Bollocks. <laughs> didn't fucking say anything to me about rights (laughs) and um they took the leg cuffs off in the custody suite sat me down left the handcuffs on and uh i ended up being taken to a cell and when i got to the cell they took the handcuffs off and i was just left in the cell and I was sitting there thinking, I know exactly what this is. <laughs> I've broke two of the most fucking cardinal rules about living the life we led. One, I'd used my own car. And two, I pulled a fucking gun out in a public place. Well... I knew that it was only a matter of time before they would come in and take me off for interview. And uh, they did. They came in, took me off, put me in a room. Tape machine went on, as it was a tape machine in those days. Genuinely, two tapes, honestly. Um, And then you... I'm interviewing Cameron. So this went on. In the room is Detective Sergeant Prudhoe and his mate Fatfuck. And uh, first thing he said to me was, um, do you know why you're here? Oh, no, they cautioned me at that point. And then they said, do you know why you're here? And I went, lawyer. And he went, do you know why you're here? And I went, get me a fucking lawyer. At which point, he slapped me around the head. (laughs) 
There's no CCTV in interview rooms in those days, guys. And <laughs> he, he then said, for the benefit of the tape, uh, Mr. Byrne has just smashed his head on the desk. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, God. And then they asked me three or four other questions, and I went, lawyer, <laughs> get me a lawyer. And they pushed me over the back of the chair. For the benefit of the tape, Mr. Burton has just fallen off the back of his chair. <laughs> yeah, right. So we had about an hour of that. And uh, then the duty sergeant came in, custody sergeant came in. And uh, I was on my own at this point because the two guys had left. I'm just stood there with a plonk, um, just kind of a wooden top, just stood there, this like beat officer or whatever he was. So um, he came in and he said, you've requested a lawyer. I said, yeah, get me the duty brief and uh, I'll see if he's any good. And if it gets, you know, if it goes any further, I'll get a decent brief. But for now, just get me the duty brief. And uh, he said, yeah, right. So I went back in the cells. Um, 7 a.m. Came and got me again. Put me in a room. This is your brief. He's a dickhead. <laughs> and he very obviously tells the police absolutely fucking everything you say. So we had a little chat with him. And he said, right, okay, I need to know everything. I said, you don't need to know shit, mate. All you need to do is to be in the room to witness that they're kicking me all around the fucking cell and uh, or the interview room and... If they do do that, then you're kind of there to prevent it. That's your only fucking job here. All right. <laughs> so um, we went back into interview and uh, I said, I'm prepared to make a statement. And they said, well, what? I said, I was, uh, and I came out with this bullshit that I was going to Rockefellers to meet some friends. Uh, for a laugh, I had a plastic water pistol. And uh, there was a rook kicked off outside. I had no idea who it was or anything to do with it. And somebody hit me. I pulled out this water pistol, pointed it at her. And then uh, that was it. So, well, what happened to the water pistol? So I threw it away. <laughs> now, they'd already been over my flat with a fine tooth comb, but they didn't find my safe. And uh, because they wouldn't, they wouldn't have found my safe where I had it hidden. They wouldn't have found it. And, you know, they turned it upside down, really. I mean, it looked like it'd been fucking burgled. Every drawer, the contents of every drawer was over the floor. And, you know, the, the bed had been pulled apart. The mattress was off, all the cushions off the chairs, everything. Even the TV, you know, had been like slidden, slid sideways. And, you know, the fuckers. And they hadn't tidied up or anything. so But they'd been over it and over it. And they, they obviously didn't find anything. So anyway, about um, know, maybe about 11 o'clock, they came back in. And uh, uh, they said, oh, your mate's next door. He's talking like a canary. No, he fucking ain't. I said, well, whatever he's telling you, it ain't fucking true. <laughs> you know, whatever he's telling you didn't happen. Um, you know, and I would imagine you fuckers have just made it up anyway. Well, 
you know, the conversations went on, and it was a battle of wills, really. They sent the coppers in two by two, and then when that shift went off at about 11 o'clock, two more cops came in, and they interviewed me another three times, and I'm guessing it was about 10 o'clock that night that they let me go. And by let me go, I mean they let me go. Open the front door and say, get the fuck out. (laughs) I mean, no lift home or anything. I've got nothing on me except, you know, jeans and a T-shirt. No wallet, no nothing. And, you know, oh, and they wouldn't let me have a phone call. (laughs) So, anyway, they said, you know, um, what we're going to do is we're going to let you go on police bail and we are going to continue inquiries, expect to you know, be contacted by us again. Well, fucking hell. The next thing I know, right, I've been at home for a day. Uh, my mates are already kind of around the flat, you know, that helped me tidy up and stuff. And the guy that got arrested with me, he told them, fuck all. I don't know. He said I just turned up at Ken's flat about midnight and just fucking sl- stayed the night. I don't know what he was up to. So it was that sort of conversation. Um, I get uh, a bang on the door. 6am. Two guys from Birmingham Serious Crime Squad. And I thought, now the shit just got real. And as it happens, Birmingham Serious Crime Squad were disbanded couple of years after that for corruption um because they were all at it they were all fitting up people left right and center and but it was a known fact it was a known fact that uh the uh birmingham guys um would do anything they, they'd watched too many episodes of the sweeney i think and when they came to talk to me uh, everyone else was was in my flat and they just looked at everyone else and just went get the fuck out well fucking hell boys just left it's not worth having a problem with these guys and uh, they said we want the gun and I said well there wasn't a gun there was a fucking water pistol and he said yeah right he said uh, there's a water pistol and people witnesses saw you take the gun out of a holster a shoulder holster so that's where you keep a fucking water pistol, is it? And they'd, they'd pretty much got 90% of the story. And they knew about Billy. And they'd got a rough idea, although they didn't know his name, about Craig. And they wanted me to fill in all the gaps. And it was a question of, you know, you tell us what we need to know and we're going to leave you alone. You don't tell us what we need to know, and we're going to very conveniently find a fucking pistol in your flat. Well, there's a dilemma. And it's a nasty one. Because there is absolutely no way that you can get away from something like that. There is no upside. There's no win. But the one thing that you never do, ever, is turn grass you don't do it because there would not have been a hole small enough for me to crawl into that I wouldn't have been found and fucking dismembered but I wouldn't have done it anyway they the the, the people I hung with they know that there was no way I would have done that and so I said to this copper you do what you got to do 
I said, but I don't know jack shit about jack shit. Oh, we've looked into you, Ken. We know who you are. We know that you're fag end fucking gangster. And uh, they knew a lot. They knew a lot about me. <sighs> Maybe it's not as much of, as they would have liked to have thought. They made all sorts of threats about my family. Uh, how would your mum feel when she's in court and you're going down for a six? Uh, which is the standard if you get uh, you get done with a firearm. Um, and then they, they got even more serious and they said, uh, you know, you may well find that the firearm we find in your flat has been connected to a number of crimes. And I thought, here we fucking go. And they could have very, very easily, very easily, just done me and left me to rot. And they gave me 24 hours to think about it. And uh, I then had no choice. I had to go to the family, cap in hand, and say, in 24, I'm going to be fitted. And luckily, I mean seriously luckily, somebody was able to make a phone call. And the serious crime squad didn't come round in 24 hours. And they didn't come round at all. And I was so, so close to doing some major bird. You know, a six. A six is par for the course. You get caught with a gun. But if that gun's been used, then suspicion is that you're the one that's used it because you own it. And if you own it, they're going to put you away for a very long time. Especially if uh, if there's a murder at the end of it. Or an injury even at the end of it. Armed robbery with an injury. It's nasty stuff. I was really, really fortunate. That on that day. I'd been able to speak to the right person. Who had then made another call. To another right person. Who had then made a phone call. And uh, I was told afterwards that there was a cost to that phone call. And that they may well want me to do something for them. And the thing is, I would have anyway. But that's the way it ended. Billy deserved more than that. But that was the one and only time I let my emotions get in the way of joined up fucking thinking. My own car was a mistake. Waving a gun was fucking suicidal.
crazy stuff. Not long, uh, not long ago, I was in Coventry for a, a, another funeral, and I went down to have a look at uh, not only Billy's grave, well, grave. It's a stone, you know, because it's it's a crem crematorium, so you know it's just a stone. And uh, it's still really well tended, you know. Billy's still really well tended, and three other people. It's really weird. Three other people that we hung around with are within two rows of where Billy is and when you think you know there's thousands of people in that crumb and uh, where you stand and look at Billy's stone there's a row behind it the row behind that about two stones to the right was another friend of mine and then to the left on the same row, a few stones up is another. Mine could have been there so fucking easily. So easily. It would have devastated my folks. I don't know, sometimes I wonder how I survived it. good fun though <laughs> that's been Billy's story and this has been uh, the podcast story for this week I hope you've enjoyed it guys as ever I will see you on the dark side leave a comment and uh, let me know your thoughts on this one and I will read them all I will promise you you all take care now Welcome to the world of digital sound.